because we get the boot for talking about COVID today, we're clearly talking about climate change. And Dr. Tenenbaum is—he's only got about an hour left before the tide swallows him whole, and he's killed. And so this will be his parting video to the world. And um, but on a more serious note, uh, I don't know if I told you, I got uh, perma banned from YouTube. Oh, oh, congratulations! Thank you very much. I'm very proud of it. Wear that with honor. I do, I do. And where are my manners? Please introduce yourself for all the new listeners. Well, uh, so many. I'm uh, Howard Tenenbaum. I'm uh, a, uh, a periodontist with PhD in cell biology. Uh, so I deal with oral inflammatory disease and other inflammatory disease, and do a lot of research in the area of inflammatory disease. I'm a, a full professor at the University of Toronto at the Faculty of Dentistry and also a full professor uh, within the uh, Department of Laboratory Medicine and Pathophysiology yeah, at the in the Faculty of Medicine at University of Toronto. And so I uh, have lots of grad students, we do lots of research and I'm doing a lot of uh, collaborative work with um, uh, several hundred uh, other scientists who kind of think along the lines I do. Uh, we've published already uh, two papers in this area and uh, many um, sort of editorials or op-eds uh, regarding this area of climate change that you referred to. And, um, and, and because of the fact that we're also working on developing different therapeutics that are basically very inexpensive and uh, uh, easy to use and work, um, I'm, I've obviously had to familiarize myself deeply with uh, the literature surrounding this this uh, issue so i don't just rely on going to the cdc front web page to get uh, the latest disinformation to be honest with you yeah uh, nor nor do i go to the fda and say uh, i'm from canada and uh, i find that the same sorts of highly um, erroneous and not scientifically based um, recommendations are made on the websites of Can Health Canada and and similar. So I'm, I am heavily involved in this uh, this whole issue, uh, ranging from writing um, uh, editorials, op eds, which are evidence based, uh, and also even uh, writing uh, peer review articles that relate to this overall issue. And. Uh... For everybody listening, the last time uh, Dr. Howard, Dr. Tenenbaum, excuse me, was on here, we uh, we kind of joked around and uh, shot the shit and talked about how Pfizer mercenaries were eventually going to kill me, and um, but we didn't we didn't really get into uh, your work and your research on this, and I think we both agreed we would uh, we would aim to do that more with this episode, um, and and ju oh, and just so you know, so the thing I got banned for was I had on Dr. Peter McCullough twice. And the second time, he recommended everyone take four uh, vitamins. There are these four vitamins. Quercetin, turmeric, vitamin D, and zinc. Right. Thing, he's like, it wasn't even like, don't take the vaccine, take the... It wasn't, I don't think we even talked about ivermectin. Just, just, just to sort of prime your yeah. immune system so it's optimal. Yeah. That's all. And I forgot to put the links in the video. And I was like, you know, he he made such a point of saying these. I was like, I don't want to just kind of back end them and, you know, go in later and link them in. So one morning before the gym, I mean, literally like no shirt, like just woke up and was like, oh, I meant to I meant to post this yesterday. Here are these four vitamins. Dr. McCullough, blah, 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 said to say, uploaded it. You have been banned for medical misinformation and due to repeated strikes making YouTube, quote, an unsafe place. We have removed your channel from YouTube. All right. All right, is what it is, but that's what I got removed for. And you know, with uh, with yesterday, I think it was Joe Rogan put up a video and was like, uh, three days ago, I found out I had COVID. He was like, we threw everything at it. He's like, including ivermectin, and uh, it's like three days later, he's like, and now I feel great. He's like, I feel absolutely great. So it seems that that there's sort of because before when I would talk about the vaccine, people would say you're not a doctor, and then I'd have on Doctor Malone and be like, that doesn't count, and I'd be like, well, how does it not count? It seems like it's, but when I told all my friends I got banned for this, the name of the video is literally "Take Your Vitamins." Like all lowercase, like was running out to the gym, just take your vitamins, and they that kind of got a lot of people scratching their head who normally were kind of against what I was doing. They're you're an anti-vaxer. No, I'm not. So, in in sort of the uh, 
the spirit of continually chipping away at the dam, what is the most important aspects of your research or what you have found uh, that we should cover today in direct opposition to, as you said, sort of the uh, the ministries of truth saying, take the vaccine, make sure you shoot it into your baby, you know, wear 11 masks. Okay. <laughs> uh, you know, you mentioned Joe Rogan. I think it's a phenomenal story because his, the clinical course of his uh, disease is exactly um, what we see all the time when uh, individuals are treated with this uh, early multidrug therapy that Dr. McCullough talks about, which includes ivermectin or hydroxychloroquine, um, as well as other agents, including aspirin, because of the blood clotting uh, issues. And um, it's very typical. And Regeneron is actually being been shown, I think, to be highly effective. And it is EUA approved. Not sure. I, I'm not sure if it's... Uh, fully proved it should be, but uh, I don't know if it is. And and yeah, and, and so we're not talking about uh, snake oil, we're, we're talking about already approved medications that are highly safe and so on. But then when you see that the mainstream media talk about Joe Rogan's therapy, and when you, you read about what he did, it's, it's, it's actually absolutely standard according to what Dr. McCullough and other very highly uh, in, in, intelligent and famous um, uh, clinicians will will talk about. They still somehow somewhere in the headlines or halfway through the paper they'll talk about uh, it's horse medicine, taking uh-huh. horse medicine. So uh, which is you know uh, it's disingenuous at best. And think of it this way: um, if that's horse medicine, um, you know that we give cattle lots of antibiotics. Yeah. They're bred on antibiotics for various reasons, not just infection. So does that mean that when my doctor gives me amoxicillin, he's giving me cow medicine? It's, I mean, that, that, that's the logic that they're using. And what, canine aspirin? Yeah, they're giving me bovine uh, medicine and my doctor should lose his license or her license. So that's the problem. And, and, and the statements they, they make, they do not back up. They're typically these sorts of things. It's, it's, it's horse medicine. And in fact, it wasn't invented as horse medicine. And uh, it was invented for treatment of scabies and, and uh, uh, river blindness and, and uh, very important diseases uh, given in billions of doses. And in fact, the inventor received the Nobel Prize in medicine. Uh, so that's some horse medicine. Yeah. Um, so in terms of our research, it's it's uh, sort of uh, more than it's more than one type of research. Um, on one level, we're doing uh, we're we're working together. Myself, Harvey Risch, Paul Alexander, Peter McCullough, uh, uh, Robert Malone um, on on literature review. Uh, in other words, going into the literature um, to look at the peer review published uh, science. Um, in order to formulate our opinions. And so you write these uh, systematic reviews or, 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 or uh, scoping reviews, and uh, the data are, are very clear when you, when you do this. And you can see that, in, uh, that um, uh, for example, ivermectin or hydroxychloroquine um, are highly effective. And what's also very important to realize is, is when we do these reviews, we see that there are studies that suggest that they're not effective. And um, typically, the studies were, were badly done, either very small number or wrong age group, like people who are going to survive the disease anyway, or who are going to recover very quickly anyway. So why would you anticipate any impact of the drug? And, uh, you know, these are major issues. But what even more important is that when you look at uh, COVID-19 as a disease, it's a uh, staged disease. Um, it's, it's it, the, the underlying pathophysiology of the disease is quite complex and we don't, uh, still don't understand all of it, but we know it's a staged disease. So there's a viral replication stage. There is, um, sort of an inflammatory, uh, stage viral clearance stage. And then a third stage where we start to see the famous cytokine storm become even more of an issue. So mid-stage, you might see the beginnings of the cytokine storm, also known as acute respiratory distress and sepsis. 
Um, and at the end, so if, and these stages come with different um, uh, ramifications. So the initial phase, of course, is viral. If you can uh, inhibit viral replication, you will help the patient because if you don't do that, what happens is you get the immune system acting up and, uh, and if, if it does its job properly, initially, I mean, you'll have lots of dead cells that were infected by the virus and lots of debris, uh, which uh, in and of themselves act to trigger an even more serious hyperinflammatory response later on. So merely slowing down the replication of the virus in and of itself is important because you don't get it sick, period, in the initial phases. And typically it's the rapid recovery, like literally 24 hours. And you're not exposing the patient to this overload of viral debris and, and cellular dead cell debris, uh, which triggers the uh, acute respiratory distress syndrome. So antiviral therapy, such as provided by ivermectin, uh, hydroxychloroquine has been shown also to be strongly antiviral, as has doxycycline, by the way, and I believe even azithromycin, mm -hmm. although I'm not completely sure about that, but certainly doxycycline has been shown to definitely inhibit replication growth of the virus in human cells, as has um, ivermectin and uh, hydroxychloroquine. So that's important. But then you get into a phase where not only um, are, uh, are you infected, your cells are starting to make these spike proteins, well, actually virus particles, sorry. Uh, and the virus particles, of course, have the spike proteins on the outside. And the spike proteins interact with various other cells and they bind to cells, they enter, help the virus enter cells. But the spike protein in and of itself is toxic. And um, to the point where it can induce um, what we call thrombotic disease, where patients will, uh, you'll see clumping of platelets. Um, uh, and and uh, this increases, this is, it's, it's, it's a circulatory disease really. It's, uh, which is interesting. So it's a cardiovascular disease, not just a respiratory disease. Um, and these um, patients can start to develop clots, it's very true, um, as a result of this. So once again, you wouldn't just give them ivermectin, you, you might add uh, some of the like Lovenox or maybe even uh, just aspirin, uh, 325 milligrams to block the platelet and the clotting a phase of the disease, which of course can um, lead to heart attacks, strokes, and, and things like this. And then in, in the third phase, when you're talking about you know the more severe cytokine storm, well, the cytokine storm isn't just what's a cytokine. Cytokine is kind of like a molecule or a hormone produced by cells that that go that doesn't necessarily uh, go throughout the body and affect another organ like the pancreas does. Uh, when it produces insulin, which is a hormone, but they, they, the cytokines um, will activate locally and systemically uh, in more inflammatory disease, but it's not just cytokines. What are also produced, and I think I've mentioned this before, are uh, an array of um, destructive uh, enzymes that can literally uh, liquefy lung tissue. I mean, these enzymes can break down bone tissue Jesus. and uh, uh, other very dense connective tissue. So if they can do that, uh, and we know that for a fact, uh, then of course you know that upregulation of those nasty molecules, will, that's what leads to the, the, the severe disease of the respiratory system as well and the inability to breathe and so on. Um, and just, and uh, so if you consider treatment, uh, with the, the medications like colchicine, which was studied in Canada, a uh, beautiful study done by the Montreal Heart Institute, um, where they showed colchicine did have benefit, uh, or even um, doxycycline. As a matter of fact, doxycycline is a very profound inhibitor of these destructive enzymes. And by the way, cetromycin um, uh, um, is, um, hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin also uh, may have effects, but ivermectin not so much on those on those enzymes. It doesn't seem we've done some actual research showing it doesn't really do much to the enzymes, but boy, doxycycline does, and, and uh, a combination of some other drugs that we're working on. And so, what you do at that point of the disease 
and, and colchicine, uh, also being important as an anti-inflammatory, is that you're knocking down the inflammatory, the severe uh, life-threatening inflammatory components of, of the disease. Uh, and, and don't forget, I mean, it is inflammation. So even if you're not blocking these destructive enzymes directly, um, things like um, ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine um, have been um, used off-label, my God, off-label um, for management of uh, rheumatic, or sorry, uh, rheumatoid arthritis and um, other um, autoimmune inflammatory diseases. Uh, as, and, and they're used as anti-inflammatories um, to manage these diseases. And, and they've been doing this for, you know, the last 30 years, or at least I think for hydroxychloroquine and for ivermectin, maybe less, but still billions of doses. And uh, it's highly safe and effective for management of those inflammatory disease, which then leads you to question why um, the FDA and CDC are saying that the same drug the horse uh, drug um, is so dangerous in 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 humans when it's only dangerous in humans if they happen to have COVID, which doesn't make any sense. Yeah, dollar it, dollar it, bills. It, it doesn't. It doesn't. Uh, it just doesn't wash. I mean, you know, the, the logic just isn't there. Um, uh, and so you know, so we've we're actually doing some laboratory work. We're doing uh, literature review. Uh, uh, work and and even uh, things like going to the CDC and then looking at some of their recommendations. For example, masking. Um, suddenly, masking is important again, uh, whether you've had a vaccine or not. Um, in fact, it seems even more important if you've had a vaccine for, for various reasons. And um, and they'll say that this is based on literature, this paper, this paper, this paper. Well, if you then look at the papers that they use to legitimate uh, their recommendation for mask use, um, if I recall, one of the papers that they use actually comes to a completely different conclusion, which is that actually mask use doesn't work. Um, another paper, it's my, one of my faves, is of two, I think it's two, two hairdressers who wore masks and face shields and I think both had COVID eventually it turned out and none of their clients got COVID. Now, okay, uh, listen, anecdotal or case report, I'm um, not uh, averse to real world data in, in any way. And I look at that and go, oh, well, okay, but it doesn't really, it doesn't stand um, to the high bar that Dr. Fauci sets for randomized controlled trials, does it? On the other hand, you then um, read that they've referenced an article that came out of Denmark, well done prospective study. There's, by the way, there was another study that just came out on school teachers and masking showing that, um, if anything, that the masked school teachers trended, not, not a statistically significant trend, uh, but nevertheless, if they'd done a larger study, they might have seen statistical significance, but trended towards having more colds, more um, uh, incidents of COVID, probably because when they were talking to their adult colleagues, they had to yell so they could be understood um, because the masks uh, are uh, very questionable in terms of effectiveness. And so I refer, let's say, to this study that came out of Denmark. And, and, the, and the CDC does quote the study, which is surprising. However, they say, but it's really too small of a study to make um, any definitive conclusions. There were 2,000 participants in the study. 1,000 were masked, 1,000 were not masked. And uh, the outcome of the study showed that masking um, had no protective effects uh, with regard to transmission of COVID or, uh, in, in this um, population of patients who were studied. So that's, that's a thousand in each group. Uh, three hairdressers or two hairdressers, that's enough uh, for, for the CDC um, relying on a paper that actually doesn't support their contention um, uh, is enough for the CDC, but relying on a study which involved 2000 people, that was too small. Yeah. So, 
mean, and it was prospective too, and randomized so as to who got the masks and who didn't. So, I mean, you can't really do a placebo because, well, I mean, I guess, yeah, I mean, they know they're not masked usually, um, but it's still a randomized controlled trial um, and prospective, and and uh, you really can't get much better than that, and and they just ignore it, along with, by the way pre-existing literature, uh, but on influenza that show the exact same thing. And then of course, there's a study done on Marine recruits. Um, now you can just imagine a Marine recruit, um, know that they know they have to follow whatever rules the master sergeant yeah. gives them. And so this, a cohort, and it was a fairly large number. I wish I, could, I, I actually forget that their end, the number, but um, they were um, quarantined. So this is all non-pharmaceutical uh, interventions, NPIs, they call them. And they were quarantined for two weeks before they went for their, I guess, basic training. Um, they were in quarantine. Then they landed up on Paris Island, which is, I guess, where one of the marine training bases is. Um, and they were then re-quarantined. They were also tested for COVID. Um, interestingly, not interestingly, I mean, uh, the, the results were that none of them at intake had, had tested positive for COVID, regardless of your position on the test. But at the very least, given that it has such a strong tendency towards false positives, the fact that they tested negative, um, to me, is a, is a very, very profound indicator that, in fact, they weren't infected, at least at that point. They were masked. Um, they were socially distanced. Um, and again, don't forget, these are Marine recruits um, who will listen to everything that their master sergeant tells them to do. They, um, even when they used uh, the washroom facilities, understanding that actually um, oral fecal uh, transmission of the disease may be even more of an issue than aerosol or airborne transmission. So after the use of the washroom, they each one of them would disinfect the washroom with bleach, which would kill any uh, virus. Of course, I you know how effective their disinfection was, I I don't know, but it's still far better than um, you know not even doing that. And wouldn't you know it, but they start developing COVID. And, you know, a little ill, feeling a little ill, a little symptomatic. And, and uh, they even found that the same platoon members um, who were more congregated but still socially distanced, uh, when, they, when they sequenced the, uh, the, the virus, they found that it was the exact same virus that they had been transmitting to each other, um, even though they were social distanced and wearing face masks, uh, surgical uh, face masks. So um, it kind of puts the lie to social distancing. It kind of puts the lie to the effectiveness of face masks. Um, and as I said before, there are plenty of studies in, in the area of influenza that show the same thing, which is that the use of masking does not stop the spread of disease. One final bit of evidence, which is, is remarkable, even I was surprised, and that is that uh, 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 there was a research article that uh, focused on the use. I don't know if you'd actually be able to do that study now, now uh, for ethics reasons, but nonetheless, they focused on the use of face masks by surgeons who were performing surgery, surgeons, nurses, anyone in the OR. And uh, other groups didn't wear masks. Uh, and they were looking at um, infection rate in, in the wound, the surgical wound, because that's really why, obviously, you know, why we wear masks when we do surgical um, procedures is to prevent uh, the patients uh, from becoming infected. And they found, to my surprise, that there was no difference in wound infection rates between the masked versus the unmasked OR personnel, which is, is just astounding. Right. So, I mean, if they don't work under that uh, condition, uh, then why would we anticipate that it would work um, in a pandemic, particularly when most of the people using the masks 
don't even know how to wear a mask. And they're also reusing the same mask over and over, which as we know, after 30 minutes, um, they become ineffective. But what was the really interesting uh, finding was that uh, wound infection was far more correlated with whether or not the operators were uh, chatting and speaking during surgery than those who were quiet. So it wasn't the mask that made any difference. It was whether they were chatting, talking, which kind of makes sense. I mean, yeah. you know, like I, said, I, I was surprised initially, but then when they started to, when they wrote about the talking part uh, in the paper, I thought, oh, oh, I, okay, yeah. But again, the masks under under uh, under the conditions of surgery um, didn't prevent infection of the uh, patient, and, and so these are data that come way before COVID. And as I've said before, what that means is, is that when Dr. Fauci, for example, said that the use of masking um, during a pandemic is unnecessary and ineffective and might even be damaging, um, he was right. And he, and he was relying on the literature at that time. When he changed his mind, he used um, a sort of a, pl- I guess, you know, somewhat plausible uh, explanation that, well, you know, as a scientist, I have to follow uh, new developments and, and uh, there's new research and that's why I've changed my opinion on masks except for the fact that the new research um, that is available now doesn't support masking and especially children so um, now I don't know why um, the CDC and or uh, uh, NIH, FDA, Dr. Fauci are recommending masks because the science actually scientific data actually didn't change. They still support the notion that masking is is ineffective uh, in stopping a pandemic. And then considering the damage it does to children, and there's arguments about CO2 or oxygen, and I'm not gonna get into that because I think it's, it's actually uh, not settled uh, yet to my satisfaction. But certainly if you talk about learning and cognitive development in children, um, they need to see whole faces they need to see yeah. facial expressions. Um, autistic children are in terrible trouble. And let, I'll finish and then let you ask me some more. But one other thing that we all know about, at least all the teachers talk about, is something called the summer slide. I don't know if are you aware of the, what that is. Um, the summer slide is, is well is a sort of a well-known phenomenon. I don't know if I haven't actually read any articles on it, but I just rely on some teacher uh, friends to tell me about it. And that basically is represented uh, in the following way. That is children who learned a certain, uh, up to a certain level in mathematics, when they get back to school after the summer break, they have to be retaught. Oh, yeah. Right? And because of the summer slide, they, this, this information has uh, been lost or, or stored somewhere where they're not accessing it. Um, and that's the summer slide. So now add to that the fact they've closed down schools. This is like the um, the year-long slide, and they've uh, unnecessarily closed down schools, as we know. And, and the masking issues with respect to um, cognitive and neuropsychological development, um, we're, we're in for, I think, some really awful surprises in the next decade or so when, when these people grow up. It's, it's insane. I mean, yeah, think about when you're like sending texts versus on a phone call, just, you know, the entire, you miss, I know at least I do, you misinterpret and overthink every text. Someone responds with yes and a period and you're like, oh shit, are they mad? In reality, they're running out the door and they, you know, their phone auto finished it and they're, you know, whatever. And it's, you, you, how, how does, how does a child develop? Sure. uh, You know, without these social psychosocial cues. And, and, and to be honest, I mean, there is a paper, they, they were forced to withdraw it. We're not sure why. They actually never said why uh, they were forced to withdraw it. Just you have to withdraw it and never actually articulated the reasons for the withdrawal of the paper. And the paper showed for real, fairly clearly that children with masks are breathing in high levels of CO2. And uh, we, uh, we know that this is going to have an impact on uh, psychological or, or neurological um, development. Not really a scientific note, but just kind of a thought that popped in my head. A job I had last summer, you had a choice. You could either wear, like, a mask or 
that had these these like helmets. It was like styrofoam, so it wouldn't press too hard on your head. And it's like the shield, right? It's this huge. And I was the only employee that ever wore the mask because I was just like, I just didn't want to wear that like space helmet. And I remember because I I wore I wear glasses. Sometimes it would fog up when I would exhale through. And I remember one time, like my coworker looking at me, going like, "You look like an idiot with your glasses fogging up," as they're looking at me with this like astronaut-sized helmet. Um, that really had nothing to do with anything, but I just thought of it. Um, to the back to the treatments. To me, it's just at like face value. It's just the most insane thing that that people don't see the conflict of interest. Like if this is truly the thing that it is, if this is truly this, we're all in this together and we got to treat everyone and everyone's grandma's dying. You think that they would really be like, let's throw, like, let's take world war two. Right. I mean, we all know about the atomic bombings of Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Not a lot of people know about the incendiary bat plan, which was we were training a lot of bats. I don't know if you know about this, Bats no. go and hide in dark places, and Tokyo, and well, one of the cities, Tokyo. Well, no, we had firebombed it at that point. Any of this, a lot of the cities in 1945 Japan, all the structures were wood, or the vast majority of them were wood, and they all had attics and crevices. And well, we had this genius idea to take bats and strap little like incendiary explosives to each one of them, just a tiny one. But we would release them out of the back of like cargo planes, like a hundred thousand, and they were all going to go fly into all these nooks and crannies in Tokyo, and they were like timed bombs. So like five hours later, after they're all hibernating in their little dark spaces, it burns the city to the ground. And then the nuke worked, and we were like, "All right, let's scrap the bat plan." Like it's the nuke's a lot, a little more effective. We just did it; worked great. I think the bat plan went her- terrible. They tried it in the desert, and they all flew to like some other place and accidentally burned down something else. The point is, exactly, right? It's it's bat shit. But like, (laughs) sorry, but like, that's World War II when these world powers are going at each other, total war, no no punches held. I mean, truly ended with nuclear explosions. We were so hell-bent on winning the war... That we were banking on this A bomb, you know this this was some this was some you know sci-fi stuff. Take uranium and you you implode it with a spherical lens and it level a city. What the hell? But in case it didn't work, we were also getting ready for a mainland invasion of Japan. We were doing the island hopping campaign, Okinawa, Guadalcanal, right? Brutal, Iwo Jima. And if that one didn't work, we had we had a third plan. <laughs> we were going to use bats. The point is, is that's a total war. Where no matter, we had, well, number one punch, we're just going to go in there, and if we lose a million Marines, we'll do it. We're hoping this A-bomb works, and if that doesn't work, we've got this crazy idea with bats. That's total war. No one went, no, I don't want to do, no, let's, you know, the, the the DOD said that the A-bomb is safe and effective, and that uh, there may be harmful side effects if we use the incendiary bats or mainland invasion. No one said that. They said, we're going to do everything, and let's hope for the best. With this, you think people will be going, this is the worst thing ever. This is this is 1918 all over again. Let's throw everything at it. And you're like, hell yeah, we've got warp speed. All right, let's try it. Let's use some new sci-fi technology. We also have ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine. We think this could... Deleted. Wait, wait what, what is that guy saying? Ban him. Wait, why, why are you doing that? We're only using this. But this guy said this might work. Shouldn't we, shouldn't we try this? To, shut up. At a certain point, you start to go, is this really total war? Or is this a money grab? Well, um, yeah. First of all, we had an analogy, I know, but yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's, but I get it. Uh, if um, um, the FDA uh, had recognized this early multi-drug therapy that is that has uh, been championed by Dr. Zelenko, McCullough, Rich, uh, Fareed, Tyson, Fareed, you name it. Uh, if if they had recognized this, then the vaccines in which the um, uh, NIH has a, has a heavy 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 investment um, would never have received emergency use mm-hmm. authorization. The emergency use authorization can only be granted if you can demonstrate that there are no other viable treatment options for a particular disease, uh, and so that led to their EUA. Um, and of course, they made a, one of the worst mistakes ever is to vaccinate in the midst of a pandemic 
that's when you drive um, uh, a variant formation, believe it or not, especially when the vaccine is such a narrow um, uh, immune scope. And um, it's not the unvaccinated who are driving the uh, mutations, unlike what you hear. It's uh, it's these leaky vaccines, we call them. And it's, it's known that leaky vaccines um, lead to these uh, to these mutations, and so what you know, I mean, why otherwise? I, I you know, apart from uh, the uh, conflict of interest, um, it, it's uh, I still don't understand uh, what seems to be a growing mass obsession by our governments uh, to to get this vaccine or this injection into as many people as possible, and yet. We know uh, now we're seeing the data coming out of Israel, which was one of the most vaccinated larger countries. Not, um, uh, not, uh, you know, it's not like Curacao or something like that. And uh, they're suggesting the effectiveness of the vaccine now is 36%. Um, so, so we know that the vaccine uh, effectiveness is waning. Um, but let's pretend that it wasn't waning. Um, and that, because, you know, they, it's, I would say that the powers that be are very loath to admit that the effectiveness of the vaccine is waning, because if that was the case, then why, why would they be thinking of boosters? Um, but um, let, let's just forget, the, forget that fact for a moment and say that it was a highly effective vaccine. Um, if, it's, if it is that highly effective, then why? do vaccinated people get so, um, I guess, almost violent when faced with the notion that some people have chosen to not vaccinate? I mean, if you vaccinated and you really, and, 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 and you've been told this vaccine is both safe and effective, and it's neither um, in comparison to any other vaccine in history, then um, why do you care? somebody doesn't vaccinate and then when they say it's a um we're seeing a pandemic of the unvaccinated uh, which isn't quite true uh there are uh, some data that show yeah more vaccinated people are ending up in hospital than uh sorry more unvaccinated people are ending up in hospital than vaccinated people but there are still 30 percent vaccinated people in the u.s and i i predict that as time goes on we will see that number go up as uh, the potency uh, appears to, to, to wane. Um, so wh- why do I have to take it, let's say, if, if you're using it? Do I have to take, uh, I mean, if, 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 it's, if we're outside in the sun in Florida and you put on sunblock, but I don't, um, do I have to put sunblock on for your sunblock to work? Um, I mean, why, if it's an effective... Uh, sunblock why do i have to put it on sunblock it yeah you can and not only that i mean right well natural antibodies are stronger than any vaccine we can create so if there was a way to conquer covid like in three days like joe rogan who granted is an insanely healthy and wealthy guy but i mean dr farid said with like 99.999 percent efficacy he's treated eight thousand patients of all ages dr mccullough cured his father using hydroxychloroquine to certain uh, monoclonal antibodies, wouldn't we be going for that? And you would get natural immunity, and you can be. Oh. And you don't have to go to the hot. No, get the vaccine, you Nazi. You're like, where did yeah. where did that come? Well, you know, when you hear arguments about um, uh, the vac- vaccine immunity being superior to naturally acquired immunity, um, if I had said something like that three years ago um, in in the Department of Pathology. Um, I would be laughed out of the building. I mean, we, we just know that's not the case. Natural immunity is far superior, um, just on basic biological principles alone. And now the data are, are coming out, and it's quite clear that if you've had COVID-19 uh, clinically, uh, or even subclinically, you didn't even know you had it, but it can be demonstrated with various testing approaches, um, you have a vanishingly small chance about point zero zero eight percent chance of developing COVID. In other words, statistically zero. And maybe maybe the initial sickness you had wasn't in fact COVID, who knows? Um, so uh, and and that's that's far better 
than uh, vaccinal immunity. And, and, and the other issue that comes to mind is, is that, you know, antibodies, as important as they are, are not the only part of the immune system that plays a role in protecting us against disease. And new data have just come out showing, and one would expect exactly the same thing with vaccines, that when people make antibodies, even with natural infection, um, against uh, the uh, SARS-CoV-2, the antibodies that they've been that they make against the spike protein surprisingly um, seem to make disease worse. They they, they seem to um, it, they may actually uh, facilitate even better the entry of cells, uh, sorry, of virus particles into your cells. So, um, but but fortunately, uh, if you've been infected naturally, you also have millions of other antibody proteins or hundreds of thousands um, that attack other parts of the virus and they're quite safe. Uh, they're not self-harming viruses and they're not going to induce, let's say, an autoimmune disease. Uh, but with the um, uh, mRNA or DNA viruses that, in, that induce your body to produce the spike protein, uh, the antibodies that are produced, first of all, very narrow. Uh, many pro are protective of of course, but they certainly have a subset of, back of, um, of antibodies that are not going to be protective and might well um, enhance the disease. And so, uh, and, and then if you put that together, so you take a leaky vaccine, a vaccine which is losing effectiveness, um, even if it was above 50%, which apparently it is not anymore in, in several jurisdictions, um, and you put that together with the known um, uh, adverse events, and these are early stage adverse events. We have no idea what these vaccines will do t 10 years from now or, or 15 years from now. Um, when you put that together, you go, why, why am I taking a vaccine that really doesn't work very well um, and exposing myself to potentially very severe uh, reactions up to and including death when um, natural infection works very well not saying we have COVID parties, uh, but natural infection works very well. Most of the time, you don't even know you have COVID, um, and uh, so why, why would I? Why would I risk uh, getting this disease? And then you'll there. Uh, there was a paper that came out recently that said no, no, if, uh, vaccinated patients are far less likely to um, end up in the hospital and so on, and as opposed to unvaccinated. And uh, what they forget about is that the vast majority of people who've had COVID-19 and let's say were unvaccinated, they didn't know it. So, um, you know, they're, they're looking at hospitalized patients and they say, oh, look at that. The vaccinated people are, are doing better than the unvaxxed. Wait a second. Um, there are millions of people out there who are not vaccinated who, who got COVID. Uh, we know on the basis of work done by Steve Pellick that probably 90% of a, of a, well, not not probably, 90% of the study population he looked at using an antibody test, but not just against spike protein, it tested many of the antigenic epitopes that we talk about. And um, he found about 90% of those people had had COVID already, and they didn't know it. So uh, really the number of people who've had COVID and either didn't know it or maybe they had a cold or felt like they had a cold is in the millions. And that's what you should be dividing your, your uh, number of uh, patients against. Um, and then you start to see, oh, wait a minute. Um, yeah, a, a vaccination or un unvaccinated people really aren't at very great risk uh, at all. And if they do get sick, um, because of comorbidities, or perhaps they don't have comorbidities and they just happen to be unlucky and they get they get sick, like Joe Rogan. We have early multi-drug interventional treatment, which is so effective. I mean, the effectiveness of that it, it rivals the initial effectiveness uh, reported by the vaccine companies. And again, I let me emphasize, reported by the vaccine reported, company. Yeah. Um, they've left out a lot of data uh, we believe they haven't included uh, adverse, many adverse events uh, for various reasons. Um, there are anecdotal stories about that from patients. And, um, you know, 
how the FDA can uh, just rely solely on experimentation done by the very company that stands to make billions of dollars that's selling it from a successful trial. Um, how, how do you trust that? It's sort of a little bit reminiscent of what happened with the FDA and the Boeing 737 MAX, mm -hmm. uh, which is that the FDA decided that Boeing could be trusted. And I always thought Boeing was a great company, but Boeing could be trusted to follow all the safety protocols and monitor and so on and so forth. And therefore the FDA didn't have to be as intrusive. Well, look what happened with the 737 MAX. Two, yeah, two went down, right? Yeah. Two went down, and it turns out there were some very serious um, engineering problems with that with that aircraft, but it was being monitored by the by Boeing, you know. But if the FDA had been involved as it should have been under uh, uh, under ordinary circumstances that we used to see twenty years ago, uh, I don't think these problems would have would have surfaced. They would have fixed them. It's. And again, this is not really a scientific statement, and and I've kept you for about forty five minutes. So I'll wrap this up in a minute. But uh, it's like it's like flu cases went down to like zero in like the last year and a half, and yeah. people are like, "Well, that's because we were all socially distancing and you know practicing great hygiene." Well, why did COVID spread? Right. And then exactly. well, well, and then well, then okay. Well, let's play devil's advocate, and then they hit you with, well, there's a you know, there's a 14 day like dormant period where you're asymptomatic, but you're spreading COVID. All right. But doesn't the vaccine make you asymptomatic or make your symptoms less worse allegedly? But you're still spreading it. You can still get it. Yeah. So the very well, reason we shut called, down is what's yeah, happening. It's now. Having your cake and eating it it's too. Just, it's just um, circle. It's just yeah. this. You can only have asymptomatic spread if you're asymptomatic because you have the COVID vaccine. And the other the other issue is that asymptomatic spread, um, although it you know it, it, there is uh, some degree of asymptomatic spread, at least in my opinion, there, a lot of people don't even agree with that. Um, there is some uh, there is some evidence for asymptomatic spread, but overall, the asymptomatic spread absolutely doesn't drive the pandemic. And I can point you. Uh, to uh, to my favorite study uh, done in Wuhan, actually, um, where they followed, I don't know, over a million people. Um, and I guess you could do that in China. And um, they, uh, they followed these people who were infected and so on and looked at their uh, interpersonal interactions with others. And they could not identify a single case where asymptomatic transmission occurred. That's a pretty big study. Um, not one case that it comes out of Wuhan. Uh, I don't. I don't think it was the Wuhan Institute of Virology that did it, but uh, a university. And, and uh, I'm, I'm terrible with the author names, but but there is such a study uh, which has been published, peer reviewed, and published, um, and looking at at well over a million, maybe millions, but certainly well over a million. People, if they were asymptomatic and and demonstrably so, um, they didn't spread the disease. Period. It's gonna be insane what books come out in ten and twenty years about yeah. about all of this about the collusion. I mean, if it is so clear that there is blatant collusion between the FDA, big tech companies, and yeah. the profit margins of big pharma. I mean, it's yeah. comically. There is, but there's also uh, something that's inexplicable. Well, it's only inexplicable insofar as I refuse to believe why it's happening, and therefore I say it's inexplicable. But that is the medical profession's capitulation to the, the current narrative that there is no treatment, uh, aside from remdesivir, which doesn't really work very well, if at all. Uh, only one study showed that maybe it, it actually reduced mortality. The only other studies have shown it either doesn't work, is toxic, and or might reduce hospital stay by two days. Um, and so, you know, these people, it's as if they've, they have become lobotomized or otherwise um, afraid to challenge the narrative. And... Uh, so we're faced with people who who seriously believe that uh, that they're right. Now, I, I I had a conversation with a few people the other day. One of whom was a mentor of mine, 
very bright man. And, um, and, uh, he, he disagrees, uh, with me about the need for the vaccine, which is fine. Fortunately, he and I are able to have, um, scientific discussions with, that don't devolve into name calling, which is, as you know, uh, usually what happens these days. And, um, so I, I, I said, well, you know, what about the data that from, and I would talk about Van and Bosch, uh, Tyson, uh, or Harvey Risch, who's done very, uh, some of the seminal, um, uh, literature analyses showing that, for example, hydroxychloroquine is highly effective, or Steve Pellick's work on antibody immune status in people in Vancouver. I said, You've, have you heard of these guys? Do you, do you know of their research, which, which I had described? And, and no, he said, no, I don't know. Who are those people? And so I, I thought, I said, well, if he doesn't know who those people are, then just who is he listening to? Because it's not the people who are deeply involved in, in the actual research and the actual science. And what came to mind to, uh, to me, it would be sort of like um, you and I, let's say we were physicists and we were talking about relativity. And then I say, so are you familiar of, with the paper done by Albert Einstein? And you go, who? Who's Albert Einstein? I think I would know immediately that you're not quite getting your information from the right sources. It's, it's, I remember when I had on Dr. Robert Malone, episode 495, I posted that on, on Facebook and like an idiot, uh, for all of social media, blanket across, I have like one strict policy with my, even before I started the podcast, is I post stuff and then I delete the app. And when I want to post something and I download just so I don't end up on it and, you know, just scrolling myself into oblivion. And also when I get notifications, I click on whatever bell or whatever the app is and I click on it and I look away from my screen and refresh it. So they all go away. I yeah. don't look intentionally. So when people say, well, I comment, I'll be like, oh, dude, I, I truly I mean, you could comment on it and say, Tommy, I just found a check for a million dollars with your net. I don't know. I just don't do it. I just because I just don't care. It's for my own mental health, whether it's people that agree with me or disagree with me. To me, I just I'm like, I can't. It's quicksand. I got to stay away. Well, like a moron, I decided to just check out the comments like a week later on the Dr. Malone. And people were saying, what does this guy know about the vaccine? And I said, well, well I said he, he, invent, he invented or was assisted in the invention of the mRNA technology. And one of the responses was, just because he invented it doesn't mean he's an expert on it. And I was like, okay, all right, you know, I'll try to, I'll, I'll try to, I'll, I'll try to exercise with this. So like five days later, I interviewed Dr. Peter McCullough, and we talked about myocarditis. And someone commented, this guy isn't a, you know, this guy isn't a virologist. He's not a, a, an epidemiologist. I said, no, he's the most published cardiorenal physician in world history. I said, what does that have to do with COVID? <laughs> well, COVID is a, is a cardiovascular. Is a, is a respiratory. And I said, and, yeah. and well, specifically the video is about myocarditis in yeah. young, relatively young, myself, males. Yeah. And they said, what gives him the authority to speak on this? And well, someone, that's, sorry. That's someone said, uh, someone said, this guy's just a, like a heart doctor. It's not like he invented the vaccine. And I said, no, he did not. But let, let me point you to the episode five days ago where I did have, it's just this eye shut, ear shut. And at a certain point you go, oh, you know what? You're right. It, screw it. You're right. Go get 12 boosters. Sorry yeah, for disagreeing. Um, yeah. Th so, so this is the level <laughs> of you get. <laughs> I mean, do you really think that that uh, Bob Malone doesn't understand the, the technology that he invented? Um, I, that, that's it's completely absurd. And uh, but but that's that's the level of um, criticism that you get. They won't necessarily throw data at you, no. um, or or suggest. I mean, I, I maybe I have to admit I didn't give you the names of the papers that I've read, but they are they are there. You could you could search them online just by putting in a the relevant topic that I talked about, and you could find them. Uh, and uh, the data uh, don't lie, um, and they're consistent. 
and uh, yet people will then come up with this these silly ad hominem comments. Well, you know, I mean, he's a cardiologist. What would he know about myocarditis? And I want to tell you something. I happen to know somebody very high up in the what's called the Ottawa Heart Institute. Uh, it's a it's one of Canada's uh, one of North America's uh, preeminent uh, heart uh, research and tr- uh, treatment uh, 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 programs. Um, and right now, he is dealing with approximately a hundred uh, patients who have vaccine induced myocarditis or other uh, vascular diseases and. The sad, the very sad part is we don't really know how to treat those problems yet. COVID turns out to be relatively easy to treat, but uh, the the vaccine induced disease. He's got several in the ICU on ventilators now, um, and 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 myocarditis, as you learned from Dr. Hodgkinson, uh, I mean it is it is not a mild disease. And when I was discussing this with this individual, um, I mean you know. Again, I, I could talk about this with, uh, let's say, the head of ophthalmology here. That doesn't necessarily mean he, he, he knows that much about COVID. But if I'm talking to somebody who is very, very, very high up in the Ottawa Heart Institute, who's telling me about the problems they're seeing and that they're being flooded with patients who have vaccine-induced disease, and in his case, myocarditis in the main, um, that has to tell you something. And, and yet, what are they going to say? Well, he's just a cardiologist, and a top cardiology researcher in the country, if not North America. Peter McCollum knows him very well, by the way. It's, I mean, I don't know anyone. I don't. I haven't had the vaccine. Almost everyone I know has. I don't know anyone who hasn't had the vaccine who cares if someone else gets the vaccine, or wishes anything ill on them. You know, you look at the VAERS data, it's horrific, right? The 1,700 miscarriages, 13,627 deaths, 17,000 permanently disabled. Yeah. And then you see when people are unvaxxed and it's, I hope you die a slow death on a ventilator. And it's like, is this really about compassion? Is this really what this is about? No, it's (laughs) an evolution of societal norms. Uh, I, I say that our society, the fabric of society, has been hopefully not irreparably uh, damaged, but it has been damaged uh, by by these draconian lockdowns, school closures, mask wearing, um, insistence on uh, everyone getting a vaccine, whether it's indicated medically or not. Um, you know, it's. Yeah, I, I, I guess I could explain it, but as I said to you before, my, my soul doesn't like the explanation like the implications. that I'm coming up with, and therefore I still say that it, most of it, it, this activity is just inexplicable. You know, it's, it's uh, you know, like Hitler wasn't the worst murderer in history, but there's always something about Nazi Germany that sticks out to people because... You expect it from, like, a medieval warlord. You expect it from, like, a third world nation. But, you know, when you look at, like, Germany, like, post-World War One Germany, or even pre-World War One, you look at the physicists from there, you look at the culture, right? And it's just like, ah, you know, it, it seemed like the pinnacle. And Absolutely. then when they go about, you know, exterminating people, there's something eerie about, right? It's one thing when it's the crazy homeless guy that kills someone. It's another thing when it's the well-rounded dad. The, the pinnacle of, of, of modern 20th century society. Yeah. It's, uh, 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 just literally collapsed into a black hole of, of evil, really. And, and you um, wonder how... It, you know, it, it can happen anywhere. Um, I think it's also worth noting, before we sign off, that... Mm-hmm. Um, Denmark has just uh, um, tossed vaccination passports and, and the like. They're using the argument that, oh, well, we've reached herd immunity, so we don't need it now. And I think they're doing that because they don't want to admit that what they did was wrong. But at the very least, they have tossed out these uh, draconian regulations, which aren't laws, actually, they're just regulations. And um, it's also noteworthy 
that uh, the High Court or the Supreme Court in Spain uh, several months ago um, declared that the PCR test that yeah. was used is, is completely unreliable and cannot be used to confirm diagnosis of COVID. And that same Supreme Court just days ago, I think, uh, has completely um, ruled as unconstitutional all these other non-pharmacological interventions, and in particular, uh, you know, like masking, locking down. But they they um, they ruled against forced vaccination and vaccine passports. When you, it, so it seems like maybe the tide's turning, but it does. Uh, but every time I think it's turning something worse happens uh, for example um the premier of ontario was dead set uh, sort of like a governor in the states um so he was dead set against the vaccine passport in fact his chief medical advisor was saying that there were really no scientific grounds to introduce a vaccine passport well we're getting a vaccine passport in our province i uh, by I guess the end of the month or something like that, and meaning that uh, unvaccinated, unclean intervention will not be able to enter um, a restaurant, um, any non-essential uh, public uh, facility, uh, and, and you know, it kind of makes me wonder what's what's non-essential. You bet, you bet, you'll be allowed to go to the liquor store. Because during the during the lockdowns, the liquor stores were considered an essential service and not lockdown. So you'll probably still, without a vax passport, get into a liquor store, but you won't be able to get into certain hospitals, uh, which is a complete denial of treatment. Um, people are going to lose their jobs over this at a time when there's nursing shortages and they're threatening to fire nurses who aren't vaccinated. What are they? This is it's utter madness. And then. 1933 Germany doesn't look so. You go, oh, oh. We have to, yeah, we have to stop wagging our fingers yeah. at the average Berliner. Yeah. Or, and you go, uh, oh, that's how it, okay. When that's you, how it happens. I mean, I literally, there's, um, uh, I, I literally thought I was watching um, a, a movie, like one of these dystopian movies when I was told by our administration that because of directive number six, we all have to report our vaccination status and or get vaccinated. Directive six. Directive six. It doesn't chills up and down your spine. Nothing will. Replace unvaccinated with Uden. Yeah. And enjoy right. a real-time history lesson. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Nothing yeah. else. Don't change anything else. Yeah. So, I mean, when I saw the wording <laughs> on an email sent to me uh, telling me that I had to declare one way or the other whether I was vaccinated, um, and they're, they're referring to Directive 6, I, li I responded saying, you know, I, I think I remember seeing this in 1984, the movie. Um, and uh, Insane. It's that bad. It's So that's why, you know, you think... There's cracks in the dike. The dam is breaking. It's, it's a, uh, there are any other metaphors I can use? Um, but uh, you see this. You see hope, a ray of hope in, in Spain um, and Denmark. Uh, but then, you know, like in Ontario, where our premier was absolutely adamant about and dead set against uh, instituting vaccine passports. Well, guess what? Coming to a an Ontario citizen near you is the Vax passport. There you go. Why does anyone need to own a gun? Yeah, the government's not coming after you, conspiracy uh, theorists. Eighteen yeah, months I, I, later, was it Reagan who said, "I'm the most scariest, scariest non words"? And I'm here to help you. Hey, man, it's uh. Well, we can do what we are doing, and we can talk about it. And that is how you that's how you continue to needle through. They're not giving up. Well, neither should we. Correct. So that, that's all this. at the moment. Um, mainstream media are not interested, apart, apart from, let's say, Laura Ingram and maybe Tucker Carlson. And even then, uh, the wrong messaging gets out uh, because they don't fully understand the, the actual 
scientific data or pathophysiology of what we're talking about, but at least they're getting the message out or a more mostly appropriate message out. But otherwise, no. And so the only way to do this is, you know, I guess podcasts like yours and other online um, news sites or, or whatever you want to call them, alternate news sites. So what you're, you're doing a good job. I mean, it's important. It's yeah. probably the most important thing you you have ever done in your life. Yeah, and I and I love it. I love talking about it. I love doing it. I love, uh, to me, there's nothing more fun than, above all else, above the f- fact that I think it's like the moral thing to do and the right thing to do, there's also, there will never en- be anything more fun in life than just doing what you're not supposed to do. <laughs> you just don't do that. You want to do it. It's at the very, like the interior child, just don't do that. I'm gonna, you know, it's the cat. Don't, That's, don't, don't knock it off the table. You're gonna do it. I'm gonna, Tommy. Don't talk about, don't talk about the vaccine. I'm, 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 I would never have reached out to any of these physicians if, if it wasn't banned on YouTube. It was the second I started getting like emails about not doing it when I was like, I need to find Doctor Malone. I need to find Doctor McCola. I need. They're if they just didn't ban it, I would have zero interest in this. I am truly at my core. I'm just, I'm the cat just pushing the. The plate off the table. Just don't, yeah. don't do it. Stop banning it, and I'll stop having on physicians tomorrow because I'll lose interest. <laughs> if that's the case. But I've kept you for twenty minutes longer than I said I would, and uh, I keep. I've been because, like a normal person, I watch a lot of old atomic tests on YouTube. They restore them and upscale them with four K AI. And I'm just looking at your background, and I just keep waiting for like an A bomb to go off because this is the same like foreground of every video from the '40s of a nuke going off. Yeah. So I hope that doesn't happen. But um, tide hasn't come up, and Dr. Tenenbaum's still alive. So yeah, my ankles are getting a bit wet here because it is coming up the tide. If I'm gonna reach, through, I don't know if you can see behind me. I'm gonna I'm gonna reach through this screen and smack you. <laughs> I know. I'm, I'm sorry. I can't help myself. It's a sickness. Hey, you, it's sometimes they gotta come out. Doctor Tannenbaum, thank you so much. I'll email you and we'll set up our next one and uh, keep doing what you're doing. I'll keep doing what I'm doing. And uh, if you know any interesting people that would come on my podcast, specifically physicians talking about COVID, please send them my way, and mm-hmm. I will continue to do what I do and interview. Them. If I will do that. Thank you so Have much. A sir. Please yeah. do send them along. Okay. All right. God bless. Thank you, sir. Thank you for your time and uh, do the right thing, everybody. Yeah. Godspeed. Recording Peace. stopped.